Wardcast episode 163, go! I'm Dylan Alvento, and today I am joined by the Joggernauts dev team, uh, Zachary Johnson. How's it going? Great, how are you? Good. Uh, Robert Frost... Hello, <laughs> Robert. Sick. <laughs> no worries. And then also, Tommy Sunders. Hello. How's it going? Good. So far. <laughs> Great. Congratulations on the release. Thank you so much. It's uh, you know after working on it for four years, it's fantastic <laughs> to have it out and have made a Nintendo game. I know that was like a huge life goal for all three of us, and you know to to have something on a, a Nintendo console is is pretty darn cool. Yeah, I know those that the the Switch is highly sought after, and I think it's awesome how hard they're working for uh, the indies, the nindies. Yeah, yeah, we uh, they did like a main Nintendo news channel thing. I don't know if that was Monday or like a week ago Monday. I mean, I don't even know what year it is anymore. But um, <laughs> but yeah, we got we got a mention in like the main Switch news channel on the console. Um, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, it does seem like they uh, are trying to find lots of ways to improve the discoverability for indie games yeah yeah i know i to me at least it feels like that that storefront needs a little bit of work just because the more the more games that get on there the oh, harder it's going yeah to be. i mean yeah. there's something like 20 15 20 games a week coming out on switch and yeah. uh you know just because of the sheer volume of people making games for switch like we were off the the top like you know, see our game and you don't have to scroll like page one. We were off of it in like 24 hours. We were like one down click on the button away already like the, in 24 hours just because of the volume of games that come out. Um, it, but you guys were showcased on a direct, right? We were not. Uh, you were not? We were not in a direct. Um, there's another studio in Minneapolis called Pixel Lakes uh, working on a puzzle, kind of action puzzle game. And uh, they were in a direct. And that's really awesome to see other Minneapolis Indies getting love from Nintendo. Um, a lot of people don't really think about Minneapolis being on the map, and so we're excited to see some big releases coming out of the community here. Is it a big like tech sector um, in the Middle East? I mean, Middle East in the Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Minnesota is uh, on the Arabian Peninsula, next to the Red Sea. <laughs> um, we have a really, I mean, like so the world headquarters for Target, 3M. Best Buy are all here. Um, you know, we've General got Mills. General Mills. I mean, there's Ooh. a lot of major companies here, and because those world headquarters are here, there's a design and advertising community to support that. Um, so we're kind of known for like general IT and advertising and design more than games, um, at least in like the last probably 10, 15 years. Um, and but I, it really does seem like you know the indie thing is starting to bounce back here and starting to see um studios hiring people and stuff so that's great and game informers out there too yeah yeah game, yeah, game, game informers, informers. the uh um mecc like old old like floppy disk games that you probably played in school or the m in that is minnesota oregon trail oh so like number munchers in oregon trail and a bunch of like old like Apple games that like I grew up playing in like elementary school were all made in Minnesota, which is interesting. Does uh does Minnesota like 
have any sort of pithy like play on Silicon Valley, like how Texas is called Silicon Prairie? Is there like Silicon Hills or? <laughs> have we ever? I feel like some people have tried to coin something, but I haven't heard anything ever stick. <laughs> I think that we should uh, try and rebrand ourselves as. Uh, playover states instead of flyover states you know like you're gonna be flying over anyway like what if you're what if you're playing games while you're flying over like we have plenty of games being made here you could you could uh we need to partner with delta delta's like got a major hub in minneapolis they we should like get them to put minnesota games on their planes yeah put them on the touch screens delta call me <laughs> let's, I know let's you're set listening. this up talking about business relationships how did like uh your relationship with nintendo start up because like you know i've talked to kirk scott at like paxes and stuff he's an awesome guy like and he's always willing to talk to to new devs absolutely um but how did how did that start out with you guys well tommy and i went to indicade in los angeles four years ago ish three four years ago 2015 yeah, I, think I think it was the 2015 indicade and uh they have an event for devs because i mean like indicate is is both like for devs and then like also just kind of fan facing like people who want to go play some indie games can go check out the festival. But the first day they have something called indie exchange and we got accepted for the game tasting event there and got to showcase our game. Like, and this is like four years ago. This is like the first demo. And they, the other thing they do at indie exchange at any is they, um, they like coordinate meetings with, publishers or platforms and uh they they coordinated a meeting with us with nintendo and this is like before the switch is announced and stuff and we got to sit down in a room uh and it was i think it was kirk damon and uh andy harple from uh dev relations and tommy and i we got to play an early build of jargonauts with them we connected some wiimotes to our mac laptop and we were we were, <laughs> we were up until like three or four in the morning west coast time after flying in that day like yeah. getting <laughs> getting wiimotes to work with our build with some weird hacky stuff and yeah we didn't want to have them play on on 360 controllers because we were trying to <laughs> trying to kiss some ass there i was just remembering the, the the whole plane ride there we were like finishing levels for the build we were going to be showing and there was a so i was working on my laptop the entire flight and there was a dude in the seat right next to me who was watching like endoscopic surgery videos the whole time oh. <laughs> with his screen, like literally like basically touching my screen. I couldn't not see it with like, like these little like metal, like grabber hands, like oh. pulling at like parts of insides of bodies. Oh my God. <laughs> and the entire time he was uh, jamming out to uh, Lil Wayne because nice. I could see his music notifications coming up and he was like rocking out in his chair watching surgery videos who is this person <laughs> <laughs> who is this doctor <laughs> who is this doctor that not only is listening to rap while he is like watching practice surgery but also is like trying to show off to the game developer next to him is like yeah video games are cool but check this shit out i'm saving lives over here i think i think he was a student i don't know he was younger but it was, I'm just trying so hard not to see like all this, like picking out of like white stuff from yeah, polyps. Yeah. I was, it was pretty disgusting. <laughs> it was like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck your self actualization. That's crazy. Um, I know you guys. So 
the so I originally played Joggernauts at Magfest, which was probably like one of my favorite experiences at that con. The 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 competitive mode was was really cool. Um, just like sitting down with three friends and being like, "All right, we're gonna do a two v two race, and fuck you guys, we're gonna we're gonna win this." And I've seen you guys at, at the Paxes, and like you said, you've been to uh, Indiecade, and I know Zach, Zach and Tommy, where you're both at Fantastic Arcade. It was uh, Rob and I who were just at Fantastic Arcade. And so, I mean, you guys, you guys hit the the con circuit pretty hard. I mean, is that intentional, or is that like, is there always a strategy involved when going to any of these cons? Or it's like, all right, we're gonna get there, and then the second the plane lands, we got to figure out our strategy. <laughs> so overall, we realized early on that all of the game industry happens not in Minnesota. So if we're going to be known by anyone else outside of Minnesota, we had to leave. So unfortunately for us we had to do a lot of traveling which i mean we like doing but it was like we had to do that on purpose otherwise no one would know we existed yeah i mean that makes sense like i mean there's there are some midwest conventions i mean obviously they're not as big like i mean <clears throat> where's the gdex is in ohio right it's in columbus i think is that correct are you familiar I'm with that sure. one sure yeah we i mean we did hit up the midwest stuff pretty hard we've got like 2d con here which is cool and we've got GlitchCon here and um like this most recent year we were at convergence with the game um and then like we took it to bitbash in chicago which is a great event and we took it to um to pixel pop Pop. in st louis and that was that was wonderful so like i mean we're also doing the kind of what the stuff we can drive to but um you know the if you want to talk to press or publishers or things like that it's it's like you kind of have to go to a a west coast event it seems like like that's where you meet those people i mean bitbash is cool because it's like a artsy kind of scene you know show but i mean like nintendo's not showing up there right um i'm trying to pull up your your website because i was trying to remember what what the game's on right now is it switch and steam yep switch and steam uh so yeah joggernauts is on steam for mac and pc and it's also on uh some other stores like humble bundle and green man and stuff like that um it, we're in the process of bringing it to um cartridge and cartridge yeah um, so people will be able to pick it up there if, if they're if they don't want to get it on steam because i think humble you still get a steam key but itch and cartridge you'll those are totally different storefronts um and then it's in the eShop for nintendo switch and it's in uh english french italian german spanish um so Ooh. we're in a bunch of regions where we're working on uh, with a partner working on bringing it to japan um which we're super excited about uh joggernauts coming to japan on nintendo switch i think it'll do really well in that market um i actually met a couple of people from nintendo of japan who have played the game and we're really excited about us bringing it there. Um, so that's cool. And, you know, we'd love to like break into some of the other like enormous, terrifyingly large markets like China and stuff, but um, you just have to find the right partners and jump through the right hoops to make that happen. So is the, is there a large localization hurdle with joggernauts? Cause I mean, it's mostly UI prompts and I mean, is coach, it's coach, right? Yeah, the robot. There's, there's really not much text. It's it's the you know coach says a few sentences here and there, but it's not it's not a story based game. And so, um, I mean, the, the hardest part for the poor translators is all of our dumb level name puns. 
Like all of our level names are just horrible <laughs> puns and it's like they ask a bunch of good natured questions about how to translate our jokes, you know? Yeah. I'm always curious how much of that stuff gets lost in translation. You look at series like Paper Mario or something where it's like primarily humor based. Like, all right, how do how do they get this to to work in other regions? Uh, yeah. I went to a panel once on someone who specialized in localizing games from Japan and they were talking a lot about uh like it's the intent not the actual translation and that's right. the that's the localization is like finding the intent of it um where like they i think they use an example of like earthbound there's like the pencil eraser and then like i think there's an eraser eraser later on or something and it's like those are very much like english puns and jokes and it was something completely different in japan that was a stupid pun joke but they like they replace the art assets and everything wow so like that that's the i think that's the key is that you know you're maintaining the intent like this is supposed to be a stupid pun not not that it has to be this specific one yeah so coach in our game is actually like an acronym it's like capital c-o-a-c-h um stands for um the cybernetic wait cybernetic outer space athletic coaching humanoid yeah and um like it's always good when you have the word that's in the right. acronym yeah the acronym. recursive acronyms are important and when it came back translated for the for the uh three like european languages um in the spanish one it got like switched over to be like whatever the spanish word for coaches like Trenador or something like that with but like capital with the dots between the letters and like the other languages they didn't touch it and I was a little like I had to go and like google I was like is coach somehow like a bad word or something in Spain like that they changed <laughs> it but I couldn't I couldn't find any evidence that was a problem so I switched it back to coach because I didn't I didn't know how to uh come up with the funny acronym in Spanish for what <laughs> all those letters would stand for well, you see, like, the classic example, like, when the Ford Nova came to Spanish-speaking countries, it didn't sell because Nova means... Don't go. Don't go. That's great. Yeah. Um, who is the voice of Coach? Robert is the voice of Coach. Robert's the voice of a great many things. And then Robert's lovely partner, Rachel, uh, did a ton of VO for the characters. Like, um, some of my favorites, like, the cats and stuff, or Rachel, she did a great job. Rob's got, like, a a uh, little recording closet at home. I mean, like he, he's got like a whole, I mean, he's a composer, so he's got his whole like keyboard and recording set up and guitars hanging on the wall and stuff. And then he's converted one of his like bedroom closets into like a little kind of like sound proof booth. So, so most of the work you guys did is like, it seems like a lot of it was done in house. Not a lot of like contracting out for, for a lot of stuff. Seems like the three of us, uh, on the company, Space Mace, um, and then we we grew to be six people. Uh, we, so we had three contractors help us finish okay. the project. We had um, they're all local Minneapolis people. Uh, Martin Greider helped on code, and Jason Fitzer helped on some animation stuff and some like user interface design stuff. And then Krista McCullough did a bunch of like basically art production work. She helped like you know skin some parts of levels. She helped like set up unity animations and import assets and do a little bit of scripting. Um, she was, she was kind of, uh, helping in all sorts of different corners. Um, we had a pretty, we had a pretty tight deadline. So we like, we definitely had a need for more than just us three working on it. A deadline set by yourself or by like your, your burn rate or set by 
other partners? I, I think that by our publisher with a goal of getting it out before this holiday season. Um, it, you know, like originally, I think we were thinking we would probably ship winter 2019. Um, and, and they were like, you know, we would really like to see it out before the, the holiday 2018 season. Um, which, you know, I think makes a lot of sense and I'm glad like now the game's it's done and that's great. Um, you know, there's always like trade-offs of that. You think about the things you, you cut to hit a deadline and stuff like that. But overall, you know, we're pretty happy with the quality of the game. Like the, the critical reviews and stuff have been really strong. That's been good to see. So when you, so the, the choices you made to hit that deadline were mostly like content cutting. It wasn't like, well, we gotta, we gotta work 10 hour days or something like that. <laughs> Why not both? Why not both? <laughs> um, it was pretty brutal there for, I don't know, like June, July. I yeah. also had, a, I also had my first kid this summer. So that was, that was fun. Tommy, <laughs> I mean, do you, do you recommend the listeners to uh, ship their first Nintendo game and have their first child at the same time? absolutely do this listeners it is it's the best thing you could do it's not stressful so they'll grow up knowing their father has a a nintendo game just ready just ready for them yeah like you're not we're not even going to touch the nes like look at this look at this this has dad's game on it she's gonna be like yeah i get it dad i'm sick of playing joggernauts can we try something else (laughs) it only takes it only takes four years to make a nintendo game tommy so by the time she's old enough to understand what video games are you could have a second game on the switch (laughs) or a second kid it takes less time to make a kid than it does to make a game (laughs) wrap your head around that way less time absolutely it does i think i think that's true of almost every game So, I mean, obviously, I, I asked that because it's been a big conversation about crunch lately yeah. because of the Rockstar stuff. So, I was curious how you guys kind of felt from the indie side because that's all self-imposed. Yeah, we had, I don't know, I probably had a solid four or five weeks of pretty nasty crunch. There's maybe even more, maybe six, but of like 100-hour weeks. Um, none of our contractors crunched. Uh, they, you know, were all working on the, the schedules that worked for them, you know, all like part time, like 20 hours or less. Um, I think the like emotional and physiological toll of crunch is horrible. And I definitely I still feel it in some regards. Um, but ethically, I feel like it's maybe a little bit different when you're it's your project and you own it. Um, you know, ideally, I, I wouldn't want to have to crunch on something. Um, but it did make sense to try and get it out. You know, well, we, <laughs> we wanted to get it out, um, before October and I don't know, you, you learn, you learn certain things about processes and allowing more time when you, when you ship your first game with Nintendo, you learn some, some things you need to allow more time for, I think. You learn about lot check. Yeah, and we did. Yeah. We allowed a bunch of time for for going through certification with Nintendo, but um, you know, there's there's some things that just end up being kind of out of everybody's control, like Japanese national holidays and things like that, where you know things just end up taking time. That's that's interesting that you said like most of your crunch happened in the summer, though. I mean, like that because the release date was when September. It came out October eleventh. 11th but originally we were looking at like mid-september 
So like how down to the wire can you like choose your release date on a platform like that? Because like I know a lot of games like they just say like coming and then they say a quarter or like a month or something. And then like when everything went all their ducks in a row and they've it's gotten back from start, like then you say, all right, this is the day it's coming on. Because I think you announced the, the release date like a week or two yeah. before. I would recommend people like allowing like, I mean, honestly, if I had to do it over again, I'd allow two months from like when we would submit to consoles to when we plan to have it come out i would like allow two months just because some reviewers really want to only review on the actual console they're reviewing for and not like look at a comparable pc build or something and it, i mean people are busy it takes some time to play a game and write up a review and if you want to coordinate that coverage for your launch week like you just have to give them more time um and you don't really know what kind of hiccups you might have going through a process with a console and stuff like that, especially if it's your first time. So like, I think first time, you know, unless you have a partner who is absolutely sure you know, of their timelines, because they have a lot of experience, I would like, I think I'd do two months. That's my thought. And speaking of partners, how did, how did your relationship with graffiti games kind of start? I think they, they saw our game at E3. We brought Joggernauts to the mix at E3 um and i think they saw it being played and talked to us a bit there and they actually reached out to me by email after that um and but they didn't they didn't kind of present themselves as a publisher yet they were kind of just talking about marketing services and stuff and and i kind of thought they were you know offering services as like a vendor and I and we were busy. We were like trying to do dev. We weren't really in a position to hire marketing, and so I didn't really get back to him. And um, it ended up being like Rob, uh, who got us reconnected with them because, like, you know, Rob had a conversation with our producer over at Graffiti Games, uh, Dave Proctor, and was like, "Hey, Dave, we're like, we're like, we're seriously back in the market, like, for publishers and stuff now, like, you know." do you know anybody we should talk to? And Dave was like, funny, you should ask. And then it ended up being graffiti with <laughs> the people that I didn't email back. So um, <laughs> the guys you brushed off. Yeah. So that's pretty great. That, that was kind of the funny story there with, with uh, connecting with them. Well, and even deeper, the reason we know Dave is because he worked on Runbo right. and everybody, oh. everybody compares our game to Runbo. We're like, Oh, it's like Runbo. We're like, actually it's not like Runbo at all, but <laughs> <laughs> but because of this like we it was like one of those like joke things where we got compared to it so much but because of that um i think zach had made a first connection with some of the people at 13 a.m at like an event he's like hey everyone thinks our game is your game and then we like ended up building a kind of a relationship with them which is funny we actually met them um at gdc when we got like when we talked to nintendo a second time Oh, that was like the first time we met them. They played the game yeah. and were like, this is awesome. That was like, what, two GDCs ago? Yeah. That was a really productive GDC. But yeah, we like sat down <laughs> to play with 13 a.m. And we sat down with Nintendo again. And um, yeah, that was a that was a cool year. That was, yeah, like, it was really that exciting. That was a GDC immediately after Switch was announced. Yeah. So everyone had their Switch with them. 
I think it was well, announced was not talking on sale about yet, it. right? Or it came... I, oh, no, it right. like launched the week of GDC. The, the week of GDC, you could buy them. That's right, because right. GDC... <laughs> Marty got his Switch there or something like that. Yeah, stood in line at the Target by Moscone. Uh, Demetrion? Yeah. Demetrion Target? Yeah. <laughs> Demetrion Target saved my ass because I came to GDC with no sweatshirt and it, I didn't know how like cold and rainy San sure. Francisco got. And I'm like, well, this is bullshit. <laughs> and I ducked in there and got a hoodie. So... And when did you say your your relationship with graffiti started? What what was the time frame on that? Uh, we like officially became partners the beginning of the year. So like it was uh, February first or something when you know we announced and and started our you know official dev cycle you know, with them as a partner. And so we we honestly kind of like completely redid the whole game from the demo that we had been showing to the commercial release between like february and and august so what is that like wow. six months we like built everything back up from the ground and added you know like tripled the number of levels in the game or something like that it was it was a lot yeah the thing the thing you played at Magfest doesn't exist anymore that was like a different game engine even really <laughs> yeah it's come a long way from what you know and that was just what two two januaries ago or or this last january that's just this last yeah. January. Like, yeah, right yeah. after. What is time? Time is a flat circle. That's insane. Yeah, that that was just January. But in January, when we were showing, when, when you played Juggernauts at MAGFest, we were, like, in the, like, you know, passing paperwork between lawyers phase of publishing and, like, finally realizing that this, this thing was really going to happen. We were all going to get to go full time and that we were going to bring the game to consoles and, and um that was happening like during Magfest. I remember standing in like while we were showing the game and we were like reading emails that, like we're like holy <laughs> shit this is happening like this thing. I remember getting one like really important email at some point yep, where it was like absolutely. this is a real thing and we were like sending things to lawyers and stuff while we were standing there. Yeah, with their terrible cool. terrible internet reception. <laughs> oh yeah, real bad. <laughs> remember when the when someone tripped the fire alarm oh, and everyone yeah. just kind of froze for a sec like are we gonna about to go out in this like 20 degree weather right <laughs> oh yeah i just kind of looked around and was like that doesn't really look like it's on fire <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty crazy though like before that you said you've been working on it for three years so you go from like working on the game part-time for three years and then going from from that to yeah. a complete game yeah. in less than a year we did like two years of of like very very part-time development because we all had day jobs and um we basically when we had some we did we'd submit to an event and if we got accepted like we would get a bunch of stuff done like leading up to the deadline of the event and demo new stuff and test new stuff and and we did that for like a couple of years and then basically what happened is we got the like thumbs up from nintendo that that gdc after the switch came out they were like yeah cool bring juggernauts to switch and we were like holy crap okay and then we were like we'd really like to do a great job and get this done as fast as possible to like seize this opportunity to be on the switch and it took us basically like 11 12 months from you know basically from that gdc until that following february to you know, we weren't really doing any dev for all, for like that 11 months. It was like, it was all business. It was all traveling well, to, to pitch and making pitch decks and having meetings and like all the business side of things was kind of our whole like third year. And then in that, in the last year we, 
you know, did this giant dev push because because we could because we were full time. And I'm sure having the blessing of Nintendo under your belt, I bet that made those those pitches and like trying to broker those relationships with a potential publisher a little a little easier. Yeah, I mean, it gave us confidence for sure in an angle. It gave us confidence in an angle, but like we were really hoping that that was going to be like a, a very powerful sell because like we had the dev kit and everything like we were ready to go and we thought you know so like let's let's take this acceptance and readiness to to hit the ground running to some publishers and like we thought like you know let's start at the top and pitch to the big boys and and maybe we can like you know we were hoping you know by like may or something we would be just on full dev in it but it ended up taking all the way till february and i guess like you know the real bummer of that is is coming out so much later on switch when when the market's different you know like you never know but there certainly were a lot less games on switch if we would have been able to come out like april instead of october and i mean and that's just going to increasingly be the case going forward absolutely like like you said every passing week with 15 20 games coming out yeah and uh, there was a point where they were they were being very careful about like curating like who was getting I think they had some sort of like on their end they weren't able to make enough dev kits or something I don't know I don't know specifics but I know that they were being very like curated about who got stuff and then I think my impression now is like is, sure yeah you want to be on switch cool right yeah it's kind of open season yeah that 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 was the impression I got, like going around PAX and GDC and like being like, okay, this person has a has a dev kit and that person has a dev kit, but like, how come this other person is getting a dev kit? And if it was a, a manufacturing thing, that that makes a lot more sense than just pure curation. Which I mean, obviously, that's like that sounds like Nintendo to a T too, just like being super curatorial. Yeah. But manufacturing constraints makes a lot of sense there too. I mean, I think they were like trying to make sure that that they didn't just get flooded with a whole bunch of garbage immediately and then their system was known as this like thing that has a whole bunch of garbage on it like that first year was important i think you gotta bring back the nintendo seal of quality i got speaking of tattooed on my leg (laughs) (laughs) no you don't really yeah absolutely when when our game shipped i like scheduled an appointment and got the seal of quality tattooed on my leg wow does like the ink have any sort of like holographic any sort of like shiny <laughs> texture to it or anything no i went i went with this artist who does like put gold foil in the ink he does like pen work he does like uh, like <laughs> stippling and crosshatch kind of like almost like woodblock or old school like edward gory pen work and i had him do that style interpretation of the seal of quality in black that's classy i like that it's it's zach's first tattoo and when he posted a picture of it online i thought he was joking <laughs> like, like I, I talked to him about tattoos before and he was like meh, 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 meh. my brother has some or whatever <laughs> do you know the uh the was it alex norris webcomic name where it's just the guy the punchline's always the guy going oh no and he's like a pink blob yeah yeah, yeah yeah uh my buddy callum underwood he scouts for raw fury and does some other stuff he has that tattooed on his foot yeah i remember <laughs> that from his twitter f- feed i follow callum on twitter and i remember him getting that tattoo and i was like that is a great idea for a tattoo <laughs> i just love i feel like callum just like goes into a tattoo parlor he's like us ah, we'll figure it out whatever <laughs> let's talk about the the development of the game a little bit more um Tommy, I know you put a thread up a little while ago, I think around the release of the game about like 
your creation process because people seemed enamored by the slickness of the art assets. Do you want to talk about that just a little bit? Sure. Where would you like to start? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the I guess that the the core of it is like before this game, I had uh, never really done animation. <laughs> and I was the only artist on the team. So I learned a crap ton about animating. And the workflow we ended up using that was best was going through like out of Illustrator into After Effects and then baking out sprite sheets of stuff. Um, because I mean, there's a there's a number of reasons why based off of the art style that that was the easiest, fastest way of doing it. Um, mainly the characters have a big gradient going over them. And applying that in engine with like the more puppet style animation in engine would have been a challenge that I didn't know how to do. I'm sure we, <laughs> I'm sure we could have figured it out, but I didn't. We didn't have time. <laughs> if you, as you heard, we were just moving a million miles an hour once we started moving. So it was uh, it was basically like, what's the what's the fastest way I can do this myself? using the tools I already know. Would um, you describe your art style as like hand-drawn cartoon, Tommy? I mean, it's, it's all drawn in computer, if it, but well, it is all... You use like a Wacom. Like I use, use, a, I use a stylus, right? yeah. It's a... There's a brush tool in Illustrator that like no one seems to know about. And... <laughs> I think it's just not paying attention to. <laughs> it's, it's a... Yeah, it's a... It's hidden under like a you have to like expand a menu to find it kind of thing and no one ever uses it um but it uses like pressure sensitivity and stuff it's like painting in like photoshop or like other like art tools um but it but it converts it to vector like once you put it down that's pretty and i'm i'm like an illustrator first person like my very like that's where i make things and then if it needs to do something else i'll bring it to a different program but i always basically like start in illustrator that's just it's the place i'm the fastest and most comfortable and know the most about so like all the shapes of everything is all made there and then exported out in different ways through different programs depending on what it needs to do that's interesting that you chose you know baking sprite sheets then skeletal system using spine or something yeah. to, to animate that stuff but just because you found that that easier to do yeah, it's all about, I mean, there's not a right or wrong way to do anything. So it's, I think a big lesson there is just like, do what you know how to do. And at the end of the day, people are gonna be like, oh, you didn't use this. I'm not going to buy the game because <laughs> most people have no idea how any of this thing works. And like, even if they do, they don't actually care because it's not about the you know, tools that were used. Right. But people were, were asking a lot about your, your pipeline. Yeah. And I think people were surprised to like here when i started talking about it people would be like oh okay i didn't i never even thought of doing it that way or that's that's unusual we also used a really heavily relied on um fair 2d or fur 2d i'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it it's a uh like unity like uh, extension that uh it's for terrain specifically and you create basically vector points almost um they're technically splines or whatever um 
and you can set up materials and it'll fill it in and put like the right edges along stuff. And I found all sorts of cool, interesting ways to hack that. I like half the trees are made out of this train tool and like that's cool the plants are and because this train tool has like a sine wave like shader to it that you can use I was able to make the plants all kind of move and jiggle in like the bigger forest levels and like just it's a really really expansive tool i was finding like always like a new way of doing something with it which is really cool yeah, the game is really uh, beautiful. So people should like m- make their friends play it so that they can actually take in the art. Because when when you yourself are playing, you're just in like panic mode the whole time and <laughs> miss how beautiful the trees are. Yeah, I found that playing it single player. I'm like, all right, time to play some Joggernauts. I was like, oh god, this is like even like the early levels. It's still kind of kind of out of control when you want to try to. 100% a level. Sure. Yeah. I I had a, a ton. I had like endless patience for the first bit trip runner, which is a very difficult game with one hit kills and no checkpoints and Joggernauts was like started as a, a totally a love letter to to bit trip runner and my friend Jesse. Uh, the two of us were playing bit trip runner and it was like how could like we were it was almost like we were playing together even though you have to pass the controller back and forth because it's a single player game and the the taking turns being in front mechanic of Joggernauts came out of the question of like, how would you make a game like Bitrip Runner be multiplayer in a way that would be fun? Um, and so I kind of made multiplayer Bitrip Runner for Jesse as a demo. And that's where it originally got started. And I think the, the difficulty that, I mean, we've tried to round out a lot of edges of the difficulty in Joggernauts. Tommy's always been pushing for that. I think we all got a little bit too good at our own game. <laughs> and uh it was just pretty classic but yeah, we had a we had a panic moment like a couple like a month before right we were submitting to like lock check and stuff where we were like oh shit is our game too easy <laughs> turns out it's not <laughs> turns out it's not at all but like yeah we were i think that between us getting so good at it and having uh some play testers who had been around you know for years play testing it like you can you can you throw something brand new at somebody and have them do a really good job beating it right away, and then you're kind of like, "Damn, is this is this game too easy?" We need some like completely fresh, out of the loop people to play some levels. Probably the we would have remembered how hard it is. I know I know some some developers for playtesting sometimes they'll utilize like speedrunners, like give it to a speedrunner and be like, "Hey, play this." Um, I don't. I don't know if Joggernauts would work that way because there's no way to like increase the speed of the character, right? It's always a constant speed. But uh, I am curious if a speedrunner were to take your game, like what would be like the frame perfect way to like time a jump and do all that stuff so it's like as fast as possible. Well, I can I can do that with most levels. I, I can't. There's some levels where I can't do it like reliably. It'll take me a few tries, but I like I beat. I got all the gold trophies in the game on my Switch. Um, which, no big deal. Which is like half the content of the game. Um, and I did that with, with one heart per level. So like I couldn't make any mistakes. If I made a single mistake, I'd have to restart the level. Um, and I, So I can do that. Um, and so I guess like, I don't know, to speedrun Joggernaut since it's an auto runner and has a fixed speed, it would really just be, um, you know, errors. 
you know, could can you get it down to a hundred percent run of juggernauts where you don't make a single mistake? Like, but basically, it means that there's there's a maximum time, right? Like, there's a there's a perfect time of juggernauts, and nobody can ever do better than that unless there is some sort of programming exploit like hack that someone can find. Um, but yeah, there's not really any opportunity to find shortcuts because it's moving at a constant speed. So it would really just be execution. There's there's modifiers, so you can you know. You can yeah, play you can the, run game the game faster. at like 2x speed. So like the you know, there's a somebody can you know find that that floor of like what is the absolute best time, but by and then basically by running the game at double speed, that would be the best time. But but once you play perfectly, like you'd have to find some sort of programming hack to improve upon that. Yeah, you couldn't go any faster. Well, there would be an interest actually thinking about this. There would be a finding the best strategy for um like which trophies to get because there are like gates where you can't go past unless you have this many trophies so the the fastest route would also have a strategy of like which ones are worth getting which ones are the easiest and fastest to get where i'm not going to die well if you can play perfectly it doesn't matter right but if you're but, but it's like which ones do you play perfect achieved yeah before perfect is achieved then like the people who are still making mistakes there's definitely some strategy in which path through the game do you take yeah i feel like before perfect is achieved is the title of some speedrunner's autobiography <laughs> <laughs> well how how is the game i mean you talked about critical response and it, it's been good like how has the game been doing for you guys has it been meeting your expectations exceeding them i don't know we'd like to see more sales i mean we we launched in october not not really by plan but by a combination of the cards landing where they did and necessity. Um, and October is a tough time. I mean, everybody knows October is a very tough time to launch an indie game. Um, we have we have some like a couple updates coming out. Like one, hopefully, uh, before uh, Christmas, before this holiday, and then one uh, early, like the beginning of 2019. Um, you know, we hope we can get another press bump um, and some visibility from those updates. And, you know, there's still some pretty big YouTubers and Twitch streamers and stuff who've got content coming to reach a bigger audience. Um, I mean, there's just, there's so many, there's so many games that it's, it's a lot of work to, to uh, that visibility thing, to, to, to keep finding an audience. You know, I really, I think it's pretty clear we haven't found all of the fans of the Runner series. Um, and it's pretty clear we haven't found all the fans of the Overcooked series. I mean, these are a lot of people. Um, and we certainly think that uh, they would really like the game and that, you know, the the critics who are doing the reviews are mentioning those games and those audiences. And it's just, you know, it's going to take us some time still to, to uh, you know, crack that code of getting the visibility we think the game is worthy of when there's with such a tough, it's just such a tough market right now. You guys need to get into that game of putting other indie game mascots in your game. That's coming. Uh, I don't, oh. Yeah, we, I don't think we can tell you who, but you're gonna see Charles some. Martinet. You're gonna see some pretty exciting guest characters very soon. <laughs> I'm I'm very excited about all of them. Yeah, absolutely. one of them in particular, I'm extremely excited about. But I'm very excited about all. It's weird. I feel like I can't talk a ton about because we haven't announced it yet. But I'm very. Uh, it was very exciting and cool and fun and. I'm, all the I'm, words i'm happy with them <laughs> <laughs> i got to do some of that stuff too <laughs> and it was fun 
yeah, I'm I'm curious what that that game is like now. The game of hey, like we really like your character. Can we put him in our game? Like it's. I remember going. I was at Super Smash Con one year. I demoed my game at Super Smash Con, which is in Northern Virginia, kind of kind of near where Magfest is. And Rivals of Ether was there, and they had like a panel. And 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 that con, everything's just in one big room. So there's like an indie section next to like a bunch of like competitive players like doing the the qualifying rounds. And then there's like a main stage where they do the panels, and then like the big like finals and championships or whatever. And these in the Rivals of Ether like community manager and whatever were were doing a panel, and they're like, and we're proud to announce. Ori from Ori in the Blind Forest is going to be in Rivals of Ether, and like that whole crowd just like blew up. And I was like walking by, I was like, "Dude, dude, gonna go get a sandwich," and just like, Wah! like <laughs> got blasted back by all these people, super excited to see Ori in the uh, in Rivals of Ether. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I I I I really like that. Like, I like the idea of like all these characters like having a shared universe or whatever, and like Brawl Out, which was another kind of indie platform fighter was there and they have like hyperlight drifter in there in their game and 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 that's pretty cool they also have a they have a juan from uh guacamelee also oh yeah yeah that's pretty cool is that second game out yet oh yeah yeah okay that's what i thought because because they announced it with splunky too and i was like is it is it on the same time scale as plunky i think i think it i think it is out on playstation and maybe like pc like they they didn't go like all platforms immediately so i assume i assume they're gonna i mean the first guacamelee is like runs on every thing with a screen at this point it's on vita <laughs> like it's like one of those famous vita indie games where everyone loved playing on vita people own a vita i did <laughs> i had one yeah vita, i mean i don't have a vita but i i respect the vita the Vita is like the precursor Switch to be like the, where the Switch is now. I feel like it's taking up the same mind spaces where the Vita was a generation ago. Yeah, that's true. That thing was a powerhouse. It was so powerful. It was it was gorgeous. It had that touchscreen behind the or that touch surface on yeah. the back side of it. Right. Yeah. Tearaway was a fantastic. Yeah, is that game. the game where you like stick your finger through the screen? Yeah, it was and really like, good. You have like a little three D like worm. <laughs> Look, that was yep. clever. That was that was a really good game on that that system. I mean, if we're gonna talk portables, like obviously Game Gear is the best one ever. <laughs> of course, <laughs> I still have my Game Gear. Hell yeah, man! The contacts are covered in battery acid, but I still have it. How many how many batteries and what kind do you have to put in it? Uh, it's six double A's. Six double A's. Six so double A's, and it lasts like two hours because right. it's a. It was like the first color LCD screen. Yeah, and it's uh, tiny. It's this it's, tiny little square in the middle of this small. giant, giant brick. <laughs> Big it's brick like a three, batteries. four. It's it's like two inches. Yeah, like the thing is like, I don't even, like, yeah, if you took like a regular brick, just a red brick off the ground, like <laughs> that's like still too small for a Game Gear. And then put just like, just put like a larger postage stamp in the middle of it. And that's the screen. <laughs> Dude, guys, I just, I think our alt control GDC submission some year should, should be a playable brick. It should be like a red clay brick, <laughs> <laughs> but it should be playable somehow. You can throw it at things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. It's a VR game where you throw bricks. With real bricks. Well, that's your, that, that, no, that would just be your, like your controller. Yeah, it's a, a real brick controller in VR. <laughs> did uh, did any of you guys play like that 
ASMR demo VR thing at uh, PAX West. It's like something you had to lay down into, and they had like this like silence cone over you or something. Uh, I and saw then like, people doing that. I didn't though. Adriel Watt gave me like a coin from it, and she was just like, "Hey, like I don't have time to do this, but like if you take this over here, you get to like skip the line, or like they'll immediately <laughs> like serve you." And I'm like, "I don't know if I'm comfortable with whatever's going on over here, so I'm gonna have to take a pass." <laughs> there was a is it Indicade uh, thing one year where it was it was like right after VR kind of came out, so a bunch of the stuff being featured there was like kind of out there VR things. And one of them involved, um, it was like an experience that had multiple steps to it. And one of the steps involved like laying on the ground with the vibe on. And then one of the people running the booth would like massage your face. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I walked by that and I'm like, nope, I'm not doing that one. That's a unique control interface. Yeah. There was the one where you jump into like a hang glider harness in VR at Indicate. I remember that, like in one of the outdoor tents. Like you physically jump onto it or you're holding onto it to begin with? You're like in an actual physical like hang glider harness in VR for some demo. They they had it in a tent at Indicate. I think you're probably like flying or something in VR. Or something. Something. You're swimming. Jerry's ghost dentist game. (laughs) Ghost dentist game? Yeah, do you know uh, our friend Jerry's ghost dentist VR game? Jerry, Jerry, uh, B- what's his last name? Bellic or Bellich. Yes. Yeah. yeah, so he made a game with a few other people where you um, are like a Muppet and you, well, actually you are a ghost of a dentist and you, oh, okay. you possess this like Muppet and then do self-dentistry in a mirror. Like you, you like drill out your own fillings and stuff because like you're the dentist can like possessing and controlling the hands of the patient and like okay. then, and then doing self dentistry. And he, but he made this thing called the vibra jaw that you put on your, <laughs> you put on your face No, no. And, and it has all these little resonant motors in it. And so wherever you're drilling in the Muppet head, like that part of your jaw no. vibrates. <laughs> I don't want it's haptic horrifying. feedback on my face. Yeah. We pl- we played it at uh we played it at Fantastic Arcade this year and it was hilarious. That's great. Jerry's great. It's not as yeah he is. It's not as terrifying as it, to do it is not as terrifying as to like watch a video about it. <laughs> yeah. Like when you're seeing like a presentation about this game, you're like, this is horrible. Why would anyone have made this? And then Jerry laughs <laughs> maniacally. But if you if you do it, it's not so bad. Like it. Uh, yeah, that's true. It's it's pretty fun to like pick the gunk off the Muppet teeth and stuff. <laughs> oh, and, and stabbing yourself with the syringe, the like Novocaine oh, is no. super satisfying in VR. It's really funny. <laughs> uh, it's great. It's fantastic. Makes this like, like pucking noise and you just like have this big syringe and you just go like, jab, 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 jab. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> oh. Shout out to Jerry. Shout out. Shout out to Jerry. Be, be more responsible next train jam, Jerry. <laughs> We love you. Keep making crazy games. He, uh, I went with him to the Musée Mechanique at uh, GDC this year. It's a great place. And he was probably the best person to go to that with. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He's going to love that. Like, he's so animated and excitable that every little corner he turns that has a new weird wind up arcade machine, he's going to lose his mind. They have the, uh, the, 
fester like electrocute yourself thing yeah. where like you hold on to the contacts and he was he was getting into it he was just like girding his teeth he's like ah <laughs> jerry he used to live here in minneapolis and then he left us for ohio and now he's looking for what's next for him i guess he's like he's in academia right yeah but he uh he's getting a, like a master's like an mfa and uh and then it's kind of he's gonna graduate soon and then so now he wants to figure out what's next sweet have you ever seen his business cards um i don't know yeah yeah i have one of them what's on it rob it's it's like uh i I don't even know it's very Oh, the thermal printed ones yeah yeah Yeah. like the receipt paper yeah Yeah. because that's because of the choosatron he has like the little thermal printer he can just print out on demand business cards yeah i have some of those i forgot he did that rob zach was there anything else cool at at fantastic arcade i really liked um a game called breaker oh yeah that game was really cool that was one of the curated arcade cabinets it was just a a two button old school arcade game where you have you have these two paddles of two different no it's one paddle that changes colors when it like rotates clockwise it's like a red paddle and when it rotates counterclockwise it's a blue paddle and you have to like bounce color-coded bullets back at these like things in the center of the screen um our friend Alex Carlson from Minneapolis got the high score like about 15 minutes before the contest was over. And in that 15 <laughs> minutes, someone came back and beat a score. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I also, I also really liked the game red hot ricochet. That was also really great. Yeah. Red hot ricochet is really cool. Like Robin and Victor were on a team in the tournament. And then me and Alex were on a team in the, in the tournament and actually won we won the tournament and it's like a a top-down deathmatch game but you uh you have a limited number of bullets before like you have to do a reload that makes you vulnerable and and when you shoot your gun you can bounce it like off of a bunch of different like weird terrain you can like ricochet your bullet to try and get someone across the screen and stuff it's it was really cool that sounds cool and this conversation has been cool yeah <laughs> i think it's a good stopping point guys what do you say is there anything else on your minds you want to bring up about about joggernauts people should buy it with and play it with their best friend it's it's a crazy <laughs> fun experience with your best friend the like the stress and elation of of overcoming something together because because you know joggernauts is is about cooperation and and friendship and swearing Unless you're racing against each other, then it's about the life or death and and fierce rivalry. Yeah, we hope to do a more robust, uh, competitive like team v team release in the in the future. Like right now, like you know, we were we did that at at Magfest. Like we we kind of set up our own tournament, but we, the game doesn't facilitate that directly in this in the same way. And but we'd like to. I don't know. Some people like do prefer that uh, kick in another person's butt aspect. So we'd like to bring that back into the game in the future. I like that it can do both. I like having both options available. Like if I want to play like a a fun cooperative game with my girlfriend, like it's available for that. But then if I want to do something more competitive, like we could also facilitate that. Yeah. Uh, Awesome. Thank you guys so much uh, for coming on. Thank you for having us. It's yeah, thank you. Of thank course. You. No. Yeah. I mean, I love the game. I love playing it. And I love being able to showcase it at PAX East on our panel. Yeah. And I know Felix Kramer is also a big fan. And they were 
more than excited to talk about it yeah. on the panel as well. <laughs> Felix is like a big part of like I think why uh, Graffiti found us at that E3, the mix, because Felix came over and was just like swearing like a sailor playing our game, like just shouting and swearing. And uh, I think it drew quite a crowd. That was pretty cool. Felix is is a a joy in this industry. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, guys, let's do some some outros. Let tell me know. Let me know where I can find where people can find all of you, Zach. Yeah, where can people find you? Okay, so uh, I am on Twitter at Zachary Johnson, and uh, you can also Google Zach Astronaut, like a Zach Astronaut, to find my work. And I did uh, level design and programming on Juggernauts. And uh, how about you, Tommy? How about you, Tommy? You can find him at how about you, Tommy? <laughs> dot, dot net dot org dash UK <laughs> dot biz. I'm the artist and co-designer um, on Juggernauts. I'm on Twitter and Instagram and elsewhere as at Super Tommy 64. And yeah awesome what about you rob i did music sound and uh i do like streamer relations and community efforts for uh space mace and you can find me at at hey frosty with uh so frosty is with three eyes and an e because i'm the third <laughs> um awesome and he's, uh, he's definitely related to the famous poet <laughs> definitely definitely yeah, yeah definitely which Rob, which path should I take? Um, the the right path, whatever feels right to you and your heart. Um, but yeah, you can also find the Joggernaut soundtrack on Bandcamp. Um, the soundtrack that Rob did, he, there's a different song for every level, and it is bumping. It's got like crazy, insane bluegrass carnival music with like weird <laughs> frog sounds, and it's got super chill almost lullabies it's got everything and yeah so I like that look up uh the ost on on soundcloud and stuff it's great it's not on soundcloud but it's on bandcamp <laughs> whatever <laughs> get it somewhere it's also on itunes and yeah i worked um, with materia the collective and it's um it's on you know itunes and spotify and just look joggernauts ost and pretty much any streaming website or whatever youtube can't get on title <laughs> is that Kanye's? Uh, wait, is it Kanye and Jay Z? I think it's Jay Z's. It actually is on title. No, not really. Yeah, it's on title. That's pretty cool. And and Zach, where can people find Joggernauts and Space Mace in general? Go to the Nintendo eShop on your Switch and search for Joggernauts, like jogging astronauts. If you've been listening to this entire program and thought it was Juggernauts with a U this whole time. It's it's not. It's Joggernauts with an L. And uh, SpaceMaceGames.com or at SpaceMaceGames on Twitter. We're also uh, Steam if you search for Joggernauts. Awesome. And if you like this podcast, you want to listen to any of our other podcasts, you can find them at Ward-Games.com or on Twitter at WardVideoGames or search for WardCast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Zach, Tommy, Rob, Thank you so much for coming on again. Thanks, Dylan. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. thanks. Of course. <laughs>